One of the biggest storylines going on right now in Missouri politics is whether the General Assembly will expand Medicaid. Many people thought that that issue was settled after voters approved a constitutional amendment in 2020. But Republicans like House Budget Chairman Cody Smith believe that measure wasn't the final word on the issue. The Carthage Republican joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to break down the budget battle and where the fight to expand Medicaid goes from here. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me as my co-host today is St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter. Jacqueline Driscoll. And joining us, I assume, from beautiful Jasper County, Missouri, uh, the chairman of the House Budget Committee and a Republican from Carthage, our special guest today is... Representative Cody Smith. Good to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and And... It is a very opportune time to be recording a podcast with the House Budget Chairman because the budget has been top of mind in Missouri politics, particularly the decision by the House not to fund Medicaid expansion. So I'm just going to get right into it. Why did the House decide uh, this week that Medicaid expansion would not be included in terms of funding in the 2022 fiscal budget? Well, Jason, that that goes back to when when the constitutional amendment passed in Missouri in last August related to Medicaid expansion, it did not have an accompanying mechanism with which to pay for the expansion of the Medicaid program. And so it's always been my concern and I've I've been you know in the same position on this uh, within my whole, legislative career, which is, I'm in my fifth year in the Missouri House right now, that we are going to have to encroach upon other priorities within the state budget if we were to expand Medicaid, those other things being education, um, other other populations within our Medicaid program, what we call mandatory Medicaid, Medicaid that is primarily the aged, blind, and disabled populations uh, that are enrolled in our state's Medicaid program. And if we are going to take money out of the state budget and appropriate it for the expansion population, which, as you know, are working aged, able bodied adults, then we have to take that from somewhere. And I don't think that's good for the state budget. Um, And if we're going to expand Medicaid, preferably the constitutional amendment would have had that mechanism with which uh, it would be paid for. And I feel like Missouri voters were only really given half of the story when that question was put on the ballot. And uh, the other half of the story is how we actually pay for it. They, all the, the benefits of expansion were espoused in a campaign that was uh, funded to the tune of several million dollars. I'm told it was as much as $10 million. Talked a lot about the benefits of expansion, all the federal money that would come to the state, 
but it did not talk a lot about how it would affect the state budget. And so obviously as the, the chairman of the budget committee, that's kind of my job in Jefferson City is to lead the house through this deliberative process where we prioritize the needs of the state in the state budget and make a series of trade-offs. And we, we can't do everything that we would always want to do because we have a balanced budget. We have a finite amount of resources. And so I think we have a lot of work to do on our, our other priorities, such as education, our uh, various array of social services programs, Medicaid, uh, mental health, et cetera, before we appropriate for the expansion population. So that's, that's in a nutshell where the house has arrived and it's, it's consistent with where we've been for, you know, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which has been over 10 years ago. Uh, the Missouri House and and more more broadly the Missouri General Assembly has rejected Medicaid expansion for those reasons and more over the last ten years and and that's still where we're at today. So before the state of the state, uh, the state budget director said that Missouri was expecting more federal matching funds in pre- than previous years and added for this budget. Medicaid expansion is not crowding out other issues. Now I haven't gotten a response about whether that's still the case. But if that is still the case, at least for this year, is it accurate to say that Medicaid expansion would not have used general revenue and it would have just been essentially paid for with increased federal matching funds? And not having heard the comment from the state budget director, Jason, I, I don't I don't wanna speak for him, but there's a couple of things that come to mind there. Um, I, he could have been speaking on this, the current state of the Missouri budget and the amount of general revenue available to either the governor and his recommendations or the House or the Senate. And um, I think he could make the statement that given the plan for Medicaid expansion, the way it was recommended by the governor, it was about $120 million in general revenue, which did not mean that we could that we had to make cuts in the other other parts of our medicaid program or education or various places within this particular fiscal year because of the way uh, our budget has come together the other piece of that is that with the american rescue plan congress has sent out or or declared uh, i guess it, i guess they have legislated that states that pass expansion that have not passed expansion that that could be passing expansion or if they do pass expansion would receive an extra fmap payment which is essentially more medicaid money uh, that the states could potentially use to pay for medicaid expansion itself and and in missouri that would amount to about a billion dollars over the course of two years and so he might have been referencing that as well but i'm just unsure so, I, yeah, I do want to ask about the American Rescue Plan, and I understand that there are probably strings attached to the money you referenced, and I don't think that the guidance has come in yet. But this has been my question, and you probably have seen this on social media or heard it on other podcasts. If you end up expanding Medicaid this year and you get a billion dollars, couldn't you use that billion dollars to pay for the state match for Medicaid for the next decade or so? Um you could so so I think part of the part of that statement is correct. Part of it is is potentially not. the The part that is correct is that those those FMAP dollars, the FMAP payment, could be used for the state's portion of Medicaid expansion. I don't think that it would last for a decade. the 
billion dollars if, if it by the time we get up to full freight uh, or what we call the take up rate, where we think there are as many people on the expansion rolls that we would expect to have. And that is about 250, 265,000 people is what uh, the, the department estimates by the time in, in year one of expansion, as the governor had recommended recommended it, there would be a take up rate over time. So, so on July one, there wouldn't be 250,000 people, but that would increase incrementally over the course of the fiscal year. And by the end of the fiscal year, we would be up to that full freight or that 250 to 265,000 people. When we get to that number, the general revenue portion of Medicaid expansion would be in the $200 million range, uh, potentially more than that, two, two to $250 million range. And so the year two or FY23 of Medicaid expansion would, would be about double the state portion. So if it's going to be about 200 to 250 million, then that billion dollars in additional federal money would last more like four or five years. And so that's been the concern, not only around the 90-10 match, which the federal government uh, provides to states for the expansion population, there's, there's no guarantee that that would last uh, indefinitely. In fact, if the Affordable Care Act was overturned or changed by Congress, uh, Missouri's portion of the Medicaid expansion population would, would change dramatically, ultimately costing us much more money. But that short-term gain of the FMAP increase for Medicaid expansion is, is only a temporary uh, solution. So again, the concerns are, are more about the longer-term cost of this program, the longer-term impact of on the state budget. And once we cross this threshold, if we do expand Medicaid, we won't ever back up. So this is a scenario in which I think this could be very, very problematic for the state budget in that next three, four, five-year range. And so that's, it's really about the longer-term picture. And we have to weigh very carefully the short-term benefits versus the long-term impact. And I, I remain very concerned about the long-term impact. So we heard we heard that a lot from uh, from Republicans, both on the budget committee as well as hearing the same discussions had on the floor during the perfection and third reprocess of of the budget bills. That you know we may have these short term funds, but we have to keep in mind the long term implications and, and you know in long the long term costs that could be associated with Medicaid expansion, but. What we're seeing in other states that have expanded Medicaid, they are seeing these cost-saving mechanisms coming in and able they are able to appropriate some dollars to other programs that they had previously been using for the Medicaid program in their states. We know right now in Missouri, Medicaid takes up at, at least a third of the state budget, so it is a costly measure. And, and uh, Democrats argue this would be a way to offset some of those costs. So my question for you is, when you have these long-term cost concerns, why is it that Missouri can't do what so many other states have done in terms of potential cost-saving mechanisms when expanding Medicaid? So yeah, Jacqueline, I, I think that it's debatable as to whether or not other states have been successful with expansion. Uh, we, hear, we hear stories on both sides of that argument. Uh, I would point to states like New York who have major budgetary problems and they they point the finger uh, at their expansion, having expanded and their Medicaid program in general. 
and, and there may be some other states that have been more successful with it that I'm that I'm unaware of. But a lot of the arguments for expansion and the savings involved in expansion are centered around shifting populations from the existing Medicaid program, which is you know what we call mandatory Medicaid. That's about a two to one match where the state puts up a third uh, roughly and the, the federal government sends two thirds to the states and shifting, taking people off that two to one match and putting them on a 90, 10 match would create a, a greater influx of federal dollars for that same individual I, and, there, and thereby save the state money. And so we had a, a very lengthy series of conversations about that prior to expansion having uh, the, the ballot initiative having passed at the, you know, last August, uh, had, a, had a hearing, uh, which what I, I would invite people to go back and listen to is available on the House archives. Um, house.mo.gov. We, we archive all of our budget hearings. We, we record them in high definition and we have that there for, so that people can, um, you know, take part in the process to, to understand what we're doing. We're, you know, trying to increase transparency around that. That's a little plug for uh, the house there. The house has been leading the way on that for a long time, but we've had, again, we've had very lengthy discussions about this and the federal government CMS has said that they do not want states manipulating the populations within their Medicaid program to shift them to 90-10 when they qualify for mandatory Medicaid. So if they're in that ABD population, which is a, a huge cost driver to the state uh, in Medicaid, we can't take those people and put them on the 90-10 match uh, without violating you know, federal guidance guidelines. And so had that conversation with the department, the department said, hey, we don't want to do that. We know it's against the rules. We know that other states have tried to do this. And uh, so, so we're walking into this with our eyes open and we're going to understand that we are not going to be able to shift populations around and draw down more federal dollars. And, and when you don't do that or try to do that, it becomes clear, more clear that Medicaid expansion in fact is going to cost a, a lot of money to the state and those savings that some folks think would appear are actually not really there. And so uh, that coupled with the fact that we've seen our program grow exponentially over the last several years. And as you mentioned, it's over a third of our, our budget. In FY21, it was about $12.2 billion. I think that's about 35% of all of the appropriations in the state of Missouri. Adding another 250 or, you know, some states have seen double the amount of people come on to the population rolls. If it were 500,000 people, it's uh, even with a 90-10 match from the federal government, it's going to cost the state more money. It's going to make our Medicaid program larger. It's going to have a uh, larger impact on the state budget. So again, those savings, we, we just haven't seen that uh, we, can, we can make that happen in Missouri if we play by the rules. And I'm certainly not interested in running afoul of federal guidance, which would incur a heavy financial penalty and be even more problematic for the state budget. So that's why there's a disagreement about whether or not this would actually save us money. I do want to ask about this point. So let's say that everything that you just mentioned comes to pass, like the additional FMAP money runs out in three or four years. And it does end up costing the state general revenue dollars to pay for expansion because 
the, the cost savings that the proponents have said doesn't come to pass. Couldn't you create a permanent funding mechanism that would make up for many of the costs of Medicaid expansion without like harming actual people? So what, when I'm being specific here, taxing managed care organizations or legalizing marijuana and using the proceeds from that or you know, getting rid of the limits on the amount of casinos that are in the state. I understand that some of those are wacky ideas that you're probably not going to agree with, but it's part of a broader point that couldn't you find a direct source of money that's not actually going to harm a lot of people to pay for Medicaid expansion if you have to use general revenue for it? Yes, Jason, theoretically, the answer to your question is yes, that that could we find a dedicated dedicated source of funds for this? Uh, the answer is yes. Of course, if we were to raise taxes, that would have to go to the ballot because of the Hancock Amendment, and rightfully so. Uh, and And quite honestly, the original constitutional amendment that passed in August should have included the mechanism with which to pay for it. And, and that's in our constitution that if that you cannot appropriate by ballot initiative unless you have a dedicated fund source. Well, the constitutional amendment related to Medicaid expansion does, does not have a dedicated fund source. And so, so many argue that in itself, it itself is unconstitutional. But to answer your question, could we go back, could we pose another ballot question that says, hey, listen, if we want to expand Medicaid, we're going to raise taxes by X percent, or we're going to uh, it, you know, implement a fee on whatever service or uh, commodity in the state that, that we propose. And if the voters said yes to that, then we would, this would be case closed. There really wouldn't be any, anything to, to argue about at that point. And I think that's something that the General Assembly should consider. But I don't know exactly what that looks like. And I, I think that the folks that that wrote the constitutional amendment that passed in August and and you know uh, funded the campaign and eventually got it passed were cognizant of the fact that Missourians have turned down tax increases at the ballot repeatedly over the last several years. And the environment or the appetite for tax increases in Missouri, is is not good. Uh, folks do believe that they're taxed enough already at this point, whether it's state, local, uh, or federal taxes. Uh, they they're telling us that they don't want higher taxes. So so that's that's probably a concern of the proponents of Medicaid expansion. That's probably why we didn't see that mechanism in the constitutional amendment that was proposed in August. But uh, to your point, yes yes we could. Uh, rephrase that question. We could try to find a dedicated source. The argument that will then come, should we, if we're going to raise taxes, if we're going to you know, impose a new fee on something, should that money go to expansion or should it go to education or should it go to uh, serving the, the much more vulnerable populations that we have in our state, which uh, advocates of those folks tell us all the time that, that they are woefully underfunded themselves and are struggling mightily to uh, keep their workers in place, to provide the services that they provide to the, those are the you know the most vulnerable vulnerable people in our society, they're going to have their hand in the air and say, hey, listen, if you're gonna if you're going to raise taxes and you're going to raise more money for health care uh, through the Medicaid program in Missouri, we need to be considered before the expansion population. And I find it hard to argue with that. But again, this is this is a very complicated thing, but. There are many, many interests within the state budget already that tell us that they need more money. Uh, 
that would find objection to us raising taxes for Medicaid expansion. But it is theoretically possible, yes. We'll be right back after this short break with House Budget Chairman Cody Smith. And we're back on Politically Speaking with House Budget Chairman Cody Smith. He is a Republican from Carthage. So I admit, I am I am not a rural Missourian. You, you don't see me like standing in a cornfield with a flannel shirt talking about Missouri all the time. I'm from suburban Chicago. I live in suburban St. Louis County. But I have traveled throughout rural Missouri extensively, and I've seen the poverty and the decline of rural Missouri with my own eyes. And one of the things that I hear over and over again from Medicaid expansion proponents is that it will be a boon to rural Missourians because it will create more opportunities for healthcare facilities to set up shop in rural Missouri because they know that they're going to have dedicated Medicaid payments to be sustainable. So I want you to address that point because if there's any reason that Republicans are in power right now in Jefferson City, it's because rural Missourians have been voting for them since 2002. And I want you to answer whether taking Medicaid expansion away actually hurts rural Missourians the most out of any other group in the state. So, Jason, I think that that there's there is debate about whether or not Medicaid expansion will help rural hospitals. And, and that's a concern of uh, rural Missourians, obviously, it's a concern of, of legislators that are out what we call out state, you know, they're they're not in the major urban areas. And there's there's disagreement about that, even with our we even within our party. Uh, so so with that said, I think the same folks that send Republican legislators to Jefferson City are also the same folks that care about this philosophically. They they understand that expansion does not expand eligibility for the most vulnerable in our society. They understand that expansion is is aimed towards those people who uh, are working aged, that are able-bodied and uh, not the folks that cannot help themselves. And I think there's a there's a philosophical philosophical objection to that aside from what how it might impact uh, rural hospitals. Now, we certainly understand the need for rural hospitals in Missouri, and no one wants them to go away. So I don't know that this is the magic bullet that that will or will not determine whether or not that happens. I don't think that it is. Uh, and I would point to some other things that we've done to try to help rural hospitals. I think ultimately the cost of health care, if we can if we can try to help manage that, would would make it easier for them to operate in those areas with lower populations. But we've seen populations shifting towards urban areas for many, many years. And that is the major uh, problem that the rural hospitals are encountering, just like our schools. They, they, the populations are moving to, to the cities and there are just fewer people there to support those institutions. And so it's, it's a complex scenario, but, but I don't think that Medicaid expansion is going to be the savior of rural health care. But I do think that we should we should try to do what we can to provide support in those areas. I I don't want to shift back to 
costs per se, but I, but I did want to touch on something that you had said earlier in this podcast was that um, Missourians who did vote for the expansion of Medicaid, as, as we know that they did approve it in August of 2020, were only told half the story or essentially that they were told the good parts of, uh, you know, what they heard from the uh, very well-funded yes campaign for amendment too. However, um, we did see specifically on the ballot language that voters approved, it, it did say, it did read that there were going to be, could be one-time costs of approximately $6.4 million and could have an annual net fiscal impact of costing the state at least $200 million. So when you say, you know, voters were only sold half the story, I, they did see right there very clear on the ballot language that this could cost the state some money. And it, it's my, um, you know, I tend to err on the side that voters understand that, that if things are going to cost money, it may be associated with shifting funds away from other programs or, you know, maybe a small tax increase because the Hancock Amendment wouldn't allow you to do a broad tax increase or, or it would have to come back to the ballot. So could you just elaborate on that? Because voters did see that it could cost some money. Yes. So so the fiscal note on the ballot question gave a range of outcomes to costing the state $200 million all the way to uh, saving the state $1 billion. So it, it was posed in a range of outcomes again you know, negative 200 million to positive 1 billion. And I think that when people went into the ballot box, they would see, they would see those numbers and say, well, if it's somewhere in the middle, then it's going to have a positive impact. And fast forwarding to today, when we see uh, how, how the department has proposed this and talked about the cost shifting that I mentioned earlier and the, the ways that we are not able to realize savings in the program by expanding Medicaid and understanding that the impact is much closer to that negative $200 million outcome. I think that that it was an unfair characterization of the, the impact on the state budget when, when it's a potential outcome of negative 200 million to positive 1 billion. Uh, so, so I think if it said negative 200 million, the outcome probably would have been different. And then secondly, when we talk to people about how this compares to other things in the state budget, and when they understand that we, we have, have to take this from somewhere, it, people quickly realize that this would be low on their list of priorities, as opposed to some other things like public education, uh, potentially transportation, or um, other healthcare services, social services, et cetera, the things I've mentioned. And so I think they would understand very quickly that this is, an, this is a, again, a series of trade-offs. It's a series of, we, we prioritize needs within the state budget. And I think that that becomes a much lower priority when people realize that the budgetary impact is a negative one. So that that's what I would say to that. So I, I know that one of the arguments Democrats have been making is that, you know, the voters voted on this and we should, you know, fulfill the will of the people. In fact, Governor Parson has said something similar, though he has also said, like, let's wait and see what happens. And he was not a proponent of Medicaid expansion. I, I'm not going to get into that argument because I think that this is going to go to the courts and 
I would rather the courts have the final word on that than, you know, a non-lawyer like me. But I I do want to ask this question, and it also maybe kind of ties in with another effort that you are involved in with um, the minimum wage and tying the minimum wage to the federal minimum wage instead of the $12 an hour minimum wage. In both of those instances, in both of the ballot campaigns for Medicaid and the minimum wage, the Republicans that opposed it had the opportunity to field well-funded opposition campaigns. And they, there was an opposition campaign for Medicaid expansion, but it was underfunded and clearly not persuasive because voters voted for it. And the minimum wage increase, there was no opposition campaign at all. Even the Chamber of Commerce was like, this is going to pass. So from a philosophical standpoint, like, why should Republicans be rewarded for not mounting an aggressive opposition campaign to these things? I don't involve myself with the statewide campaigns, uh, you know, on, you know, for or against ballot questions as far as the, the fundraising side of that. And I don't have a lot of information about that. I certainly have advocated against Medicaid expansion um, from from the beginning of, of this ballot question uh, process all the way till, till now, obviously. I, like I said, my, my position has, has not changed. I guess in another, let me say that another way, I'm not really privy to the financial dynamics around that. It's my understanding that the expansion, the pro-expansion side was much better funded than the the uh, con side. And uh, th- with the minimum wage increase, I don't really think there was much of an opposition. And we There was we none, saw both- zero, no opposition yeah, yeah, whatsoever. We, yeah, we saw in both cases, uh, lots of money being pumped into the pro side of those campaigns and uh, out-of-state money. Uh, in-state money of of, of all types, but um, that all that's to say, I I think this really kind of speaks to the the complicated the complications that arise when complex policy decisions are boiled down to a yes or no question on the ballot alongside other elections, and whether that's Medicaid expansion or the minimum wage increase or medical marijuana in Missouri. Um, you know, there are a number of things, voter ID, there's, there's a lot of different things that uh, we've seen at the ballot and they've been con- very controversial. Um, that's why Missourians send their representatives to Jefferson City to deliberate over months at a time. And uh, these are very complex policy matters and, and merit focused attention and, co- and, 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 and uh, elaborate, you know, lengthy debates. And so, Again, that that kind of speaks to my concerns about whether or not these should be uh, decided at the at the ballot. And ultimately, major policy changes almost inevitably have unintended consequences. The unintended consequence of Medicaid expansion is its harmful impact on the state budget, and it's it's uh, you know taking away resources from arguably people that need it more. The unintended consequences of minimum, the minimum wage increase are the disruptive effects to the state's economy as it relates to workforce. Um, I hear from, as the chairman of the budget committee, I hear from medical providers uh, of all types. These are uh, in-home care providers, uh, medical and non-medical, uh, nursing home providers, all those folks. Uh, the people that take care of our developmental disability population, uh, people that take care of individuals who, uh, if not for the medical care, would not would not be able to function or survive uh, independently. 
And they're telling me constantly that they can't keep people in those jobs because of the increases to minimum wage. When a place like a large retailer like Walmart or Lowe's uh, is paying more than they are for arguably an easier job, it's almost impossible for them to keep people employed. And they cannot raise their prices like Walmart or Lowe's will raise the cost of their goods at retail to pass that cost of the higher wage onto their customers. Nursing homes can't, you know, that rely the the legislature doing that for them. Uh, the in-home care providers are in the same place. And they've been coming to us, they, they've been coming to me, Jason, I'm in my fifth year, again, in the Missouri House every year, telling me that they need rate increases, they need, they need more money, they're really struggling. And now with the increase in minimum wage, it's become much more compounded. And it's, it's risen to the degree uh, of them sounding the alarm that this is an emergency for them, that they cannot, they are, they are not going to be able to provide services to these populations of people who can't help themselves if we don't provide some sort of solution. So again, that's an, that's an unintended consequence of uh, a ballot question that sounds pretty good on, it fa- on its face. Like, should Missouri have a higher minimum wage? Well, that seems like a decent idea if it goes from where it's at now to out now to ultimately $12 over the course of, of several years. And, you know, I could see a person walking into the ballot, uh, into an election or a ballot booth that day and saying, well, that, that seems reasonable. I'll vote yes on that. And, and they don't really have all of the information that they need to make the most informed decision uh, because it's simply not available to them. There are, are campaigns political campaigns essentially that are advocating uh, the high, the benefits of this and don't talk as much about the negative consequences of this. And again, that kind of speaks to the problem with posing these complex questions at the ballot. But, but I have a piece of legislation, as you know, that ultimately seeks to extend the increases of the minimum wage uh, in Missouri so that these providers will have some time to catch up to those increases and have a little more breathing room, so to speak. It's not because I, I disagree with the people that came in and voted yes, or I, well, I, I, I do disagree with them, but it's not because I don't respect the process or respect their vote or respect the fact that the, that, that was the will of the people that day. Uh, but it is because I'm acknowledging that there are unintended consequences here. And that's why, again, people send their representatives to Jefferson City uh, almost inevitably when we pass a bill we're back the next year talking about that same thing, quote unquote, cleaning it up, fixing some things that we broke accidentally. And these, both of these ballot questions, Medicaid expansion and minimum wage have, have broken things or will break things if they're implemented. And uh, so, so it's our job to go back and talk about the unintended, unintended consequences of that. So that's, that's where I pro- approach those things from, and it's, and it is a, from a place of respect, which is hard for some people to understand, but it, it is a respectful disagreement and acknowledgement that we sometimes have to fix some things after we make major changes. Well, Representative, thank you for coming on this show and talking about this important issue in a lot of detail. Um, I think it's better for people to hear your side in more than just a soundbite. So we appreciate your time this morning. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at jrosenbaum. Jacqueline, how can people follow you on Twitter? Driscoll, NPR. And Representative, how can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Sure. It's at Cody for 
Mo, that's C-O-D-Y, the number four and M-O. And I'm not there a lot, but I do check in occasionally. Hopefully people will check out his Twitter account that he he doesn't check very often. Anyways, yes. <laughs> for uh, until next time, so long.